And so we're going to be finishing up with this series. And so in these last three weeks, as we've been waiting, as we've been in this season of anticipation, we've talked about how God was sent, how this was an intentional thing, that this wasn't just happenstance. Jesus didn't just happen to show up. There was a plan in place. It was an intentional God sending Christ into the world. And we looked at Jesus as our coming Lord, as a, he comes, when he comes back, he's coming to reign and rule as king. That he already took care of being the suffering servant. He already took care of those roles. And now when he comes back, this, the advent that we are in now, the waiting that we are in now is for the coming king. We talked about Jesus as our coming deliverer. That just like Moses pulled God's people out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus pulls us out of the slavery to sin, the slavery to death, the slavery of the brokenness that we are stuck in. And when he comes back, he comes to deliver us from being stuck in this broken, dark world. And last week, Taylor threw down, man, that dude can preach. Um, he threw down about Jesus as the coming messenger. That Jesus came with a message of hope that even in the darkness of what we see going on in Chicago and in this country and in this world, there is a message of hope. That hope is not lost. That Jesus brings a message of hope that he is coming. And that very messenger who brought that message was the message himself. That he is coming to renew and restore and redeem everything. This morning we are going to talk about, and as we conclude this series, we're going to talk about Jesus as the coming Christ. Because that in that moment, in the Christ, the Anointed One, all of the prophecies, all of these things that have been pointing, leading us to this point, show up when the baby cries in a manger. We're going to be in the book of Zechariah this morning, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that. Zechariah, we're going to be in chapter 2, I believe. Um, but you can get to Zechariah, it's towards the back of the Old Testament, it's a minor prophet. And as you get there, uh, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to keep you heavy, guys, keep your finger on Zechariah because we're going to do a little jumping around before we get there. But I'm going to pray, and then we will get going. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. Um, Lord, we thank you for giving us this place to worship you. God, we thank you for this community that you have built here at CF, um, a place where we can openly and loud and proudly proclaim the goodness of who you are. Lord, as we wrap up this season of Advent, as we move on, as the holidays come and the rush of events and parties and planning and gift buying and gift giving happens, God, I pray that we might still remember and be waiting well. Waiting because we know you are sending your son to come and finish what he started to come and put an end to the darkness and put an end to the suffering. Lord, we thank you for sending your son in the first place. We thank you for what Christmas is, what what it represents for the fact that God dwelt with us. Lord, you are good all the time, and we could sit here all day proclaiming just how good you are. Lord, thank you for who you are, what you are doing, and what you continue to do in this place. We pray all of these things because of Jesus. Amen. So like I said, man, this is, the anticipation is building, right? Christmas is here. It's just days away. Who still has Christmas shopping to do? Yeah, okay. A little bit, but it's here, right? There's something about Christmas time. You know, the trees are up, the lights are on, the ornaments are hung. There is this anticipation that comes with Christmas. And I think part of that is the fact that we know when Christmas is, right? Like, December 25th is circled on the calendars all the time. It doesn't change. Every year we know exactly how many days it is till Christmas. Um, my mom is 
one of the most uh, organized and punctual people on this planet. Um, like 15 minutes early is not early enough for her. She needs to be places half hour early. Um, and she is the most organized person I've ever met. And some of that rubbed off on me. Not enough of it, but some of that rubbed off on me. Um, and the bummer about having a mom who is so organized all the time and so punctual all the time is that you're never, ever, ever late for school. Um, the other thing is that she is the kind of person who, she gets her Christmas shopping done super early. Like Black Friday deals come. Black Friday deals mean nothing to my mom because her Christmas buying is already done. Like she's taken care of. And so she wraps her gifts. We also, we grew up in, with a fake tree, kind of like this one. And so when you have a fake tree, you can put it up a lot longer. So the house would be decorated a lot longer. Her gifts would be bought. She would wrap the gifts. And for me, at like 10 years old, felt like she wrapped the gifts in June and they were sitting under the tree. I know it wasn't that long, but that's how it feels when you're a 10-year-old boy. Um, but weeks ahead of time, gifts were wrapped with your name on it under the tree. And they were calling out to you. Hey, Tim. Hey, hey Tim. Hey, I'm, I'm kind of yours. I'm not yours yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be yours. And, like, not all the gifts were calling out to me. Like, the ones that looked like clothes boxes didn't really call out to me. But, like, the ones that looked like a video game, those are the ones that had the really loud voices. Those are the ones that were like, hey, hey, I'm right here. But I couldn't do anything about it. And so it was just one more day. One more day. We're one day closer to Christmas. We're one day closer to Christmas. That anticipation in my house built and built because I knew it was coming. And with the countdown to December 25th was on. And that's how it is for us, right? For Christmas, we know it's coming. We know when it is. But think about these different verses we've read over these last couple weeks. These prophecies that we've looked at. The prophecy of Zechariah that we're going to look at today. They had that same anticipation of a coming Jesus. They had that same hope, that same excitement, but they didn't have the date circled on the calendar. They knew God was coming. They knew God was going to show up, but they didn't know when. All they had were veiled prophecies. They knew something was coming, but they didn't know when. They had these different veiled prophecies. And I want to look at some of these this morning. Um, you don't have to turn there. The words are going to be on the screen, but the first one is Genesis 22:18. It says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So way back in Genesis, God is talking to Abraham, and he promises Abraham that his offspring, someone out of his offspring, one of his future generations, is going to bless the nations. Now we're going to talk more in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about Abraham. We're going to talk about this promise. Starting in January, we're going to start a brand new sermon series, um, first Sunday in January. It's called, How Do We Get Here? And basically what we're going to do is starting in January, we're going to start way back in Genesis with the creation, and we're going to walk through some of the major stories of the Bible. We're going to see God's redeeming story, this promise that he makes to Abraham that one day I'm going to redeem everything, and how that gets carried out throughout the Old Testament, how that gets carried out into Jesus, and into what that means for us today. So we're going to start that in January, first Sunday in January. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite people you like, invite people you don't like. Um, it's going to be a really good series and a really good time for us to see that God's plan has been in motion for hundreds and hundreds of years. And even at times when it looked like the plan was going to go off course, God pays attention. God is faithful. So God gives Abraham this promise. He says, your offspring, someone who will be related to you, will be a blessing to the nations. 
That's not a very like specific promise because Abraham's social security number was like four. Like, duh. Someone's going to come from your offspring because there's not many people that, for him to come from. Okay, And so we see in Genesis this really broad, big picture. God says, someone will be related to you, will bless the nations. For us, we know that's Christ, right? If you go to the book of Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew, that genealogy that everybody skips over, at the top of the list is Abraham. Down at the bottom is Jesus. Jesus comes from Abraham's bloodline. And so we see this big, broad prophecy in the book of Genesis. And throughout the Old Testament, God gave these different prophecies, these different glimpses of this is what the one you should be expecting is going to be about. This is where he's coming from. So we see in the prophet Micah, Micah 5.2, Micah says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The prophet Micah was speaking to the people in, in Bethlehem. He's speaking to this town. Bethlehem, we know it, right? That's where Jesus was born. Before that, the only highlight of Bethlehem was David was born there. David was from Bethlehem. Beyond those two things, Bethlehem, there's not a whole lot else going on. It's a town of maybe 200 people. Not a whole lot. Just a little town in the middle of nowhere. Had no real authority. Had no real prominence. Nothing really to be known for. And Micah says, look, you might be small. You might be considered um, weak. You might think that you have nothing to offer, O town of Bethlehem, but you are going to be important. You are going to be the place where the Messiah is born. From you is going to come this one that they are waiting for. It was a small town of nobodies, but out of it comes the Messiah, the ruler of Israel, the ultimate king of Israel. And so we see the prophecy get a little smaller, right? So now it's, okay, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. There's another prophecy that says the Messiah, the chosen one, is going to come from the tribe of Judah. So there are 12 tribes that make up Israel. One of them is named Judah. And God says the one, the man, the, the chosen one, is going to come from the line of Judah. And so we see it get narrowed even a little bit more. Okay, so he's in Bethlehem. He's from the line of Judah. He's going to be related to Abraham. We see it whittled down and whittled down. And then you get to Isaiah 7.14. And this is one of those prophecies that whittles things down Pretty narrow. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah proclaimed that one day a virgin would give birth and the name of the offspring would be God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God is with us. Can't get much more specific than that prophecy, right? I mean, if you're one of the people who are studying these things and paying attention to the different prophecies God is giving you, don't you think you'd say, okay, we've got to keep an eye on Bethlehem, and we've got to keep an eye on and keep an ear out for, hey, a virgin is pregnant. We should pay attention to that. Very specific prophecy. A virgin is conce conceives and has a son, and his name is Emmanuel. The one they anticipated, the one they clamored for and prayed for, the one they waited for and gave prophecies about, he finally shows up. He finally is born. He shows up and, pro and proves that God is faithful. We see this prophecy in Genesis 22, hundreds of years beforehand, that says God is faithful. 
I promised I was going to send you one, and he does. For us today, as we are in our own Advent, as we are waiting for Christ to return, God promised he's coming. And so we've seen him carry out his promises. We know he is faithful. We know he will be faithful again. So look with me at Zechariah 2. I know you guys, your fingers are hurting from holding the place. Zechariah 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. Zechariah 2.10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Zion means Jerusalem. Okay? Zion just means city on a hill. Jerusalem was a city on a hill. Thus, he's talking to the people of Jerusalem. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So that's verse 10. Leading up to verse 10, Zechariah the prophet gets a vision. It's a vision of an angel shows up with basically the Old Testament equivalent of a tape measure. And this angel is measuring the height and length and width of the walls of Jerusalem. He says, I'm, I'm measuring to see how big God's city is. And then another angel shows up and says, you know what, one day Jerusalem won't have any walls. One day there are going to be so many people that are part of God's family, God's chosen people, that they won't be able to fit in a walled-off city. God is going to redeem so many people that we're going to have to break down the walls for them all to dwell together. There will be protection, right? We've talked about that looking at Nehemiah. The walls are a protection. He says the walls will be protected because God will be there. God will have set up walls of fire to protect his people. Later on in this prophecy in verses 4 and 5, you see... Um, the angels tell Zechariah, tell the people to flee from Babylon, to get up and get out of Babylon. And this is a twofold warning here. Babylon, lots of times when you read the Old Testament, it talks about getting out of Babylon, or Babylon is scary, or Babylon is the bad guys. It's because they were the bad guys. Babylon was a city of corruption and destruction. It was the equivalent of like today's Las Vegas. It's a city of sin, corruption, yikes, you don't want to necessarily be there a lot. Um, and at the same time, right, we've talked about this. God's people had been exiled. God's people have been taken captive, some of them in Babylon. And so the angel says to Zechariah, tell the people, come back. Come back to God's city. Come back. Get away from the temptation. Get away from the sin. Come back to the city God has appointed because he's coming. He's coming to dwell. He's coming to live with them. And so how are we supposed to respond? As we close out this season of Advent, how are we supposed to, supposed to respond to God's decree that he's coming? It says right there in verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Sing and rejoice, Jerusalem. Sing and rejoice, Christian fellowship. Sing and rejoice because God is coming. The Lord is coming. He will dwell in our midst. Now, what's interesting to that is that when it says God is going to dwell with his people, right, for us, on this side of history, at least for me, when I think about God dwelling with his people, when I think about Jesus and Jesus as a man and living and, and 
being part of life, like, it, it helps me to identify the idea of, like, I can have a relationship with God because God came as a man. Like, it, at some point, he was in flesh, and that just helps me kind of relate. But for Zechariah, Zechariah's only concept of who God is, is big, is massive, is he spoke and there was light. He parted the Red Sea. He held the sun in the sky. God didn't move in small ways. God was big. God was so big and holy, they had to make up a different name because his name was so important to them, so massive, so powerful. They had to make up another name to be able to talk about God because they didn't want to say his actual name. God was big to them. He was massive. He was important. And so he says, God is going to dwell. This mighty and awesome God will dwell with his people. So sing and rejoice because he is coming to dwell in your midst. Live among you as one of you. To dwell, to be invested, to be engaged in. He will come to live among you. And for us, we know that's live among us as one of us. Jesus came as a baby. Right? Jesus lived a normal life. We talked a little bit about this in men's group. Jesus lived a life. He had to learn how to crawl. He had to learn how to walk and how to talk. He had to learn how to count. These are normal. He lived. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He ate. He drank. He slept. He laughed. He cried. He got angry. He got sad. Jesus was a man. And he lived an actual, real life. He dwelt with his people. He dwelt with his creation. And now for us, as we are in our own season of Advent, we wait for him to dwell with us again. Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Sing and rejoice, because God has chosen to dwell with us, to be invested in our lives, to be engaged in our community. First on earth, he did it humbly. He did it as the son of a carpenter, son of nobody from the middle of nowhere. And he's going to do it again as the reigning and ruling king on a new earth, exalted. God will be with him. God will be with them. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Zechariah goes on to say, Sing and rejoice, because many nations are going to join themselves to him. Many nations will join themselves to him. You know what that prophecy is about? You know who that's talking about? That's talking about us. Right here, today. That's talking about anyone who isn't part of, who isn't an Israelite, who isn't a Jew, who isn't part of God's chosen people. When Jesus comes, he opens that up to everybody, to the Gentiles, as they're called. Anyone not Jewish. This prophecy right here is about us. This says that one day, one who is coming, he's going to come, he's going to dwell, he's going to show up and make it possible for all people to enter into a relationship with God, to be seen as part of the family of God. And this happens because a young woman, probably a teenager, 12, 13, maybe 14, a virgin, was in a small, unimportant town, and she gave birth to a baby boy who changed everything. 
and he grew up, and he taught, and he performed miracles, and he gave us these glimpses of what it was going to be like for him, for us, when he returns. He lived this perfect life, and he lived this life, and he engaged the world. He, unlike us, was never at war with God. We, by our very nature, we are born to rebel against God. It's in our DNA. It's, it's part of us. We are rebels against God. He was never at war with God because he is God. He came and lived this life so that he could sympathize with us, so he could empathize with us. He came and gave us these glimpses, these moments where he breaks into the humanity and he says, you know what? You're not supposed to have to deal with death. Lazarus, come from the tomb. You're not supposed to deal with having to go hungry. I'm going to feed 5,000 people. You're not supposed to have to deal with being an outcast, with having society say you're not worth anything. No, you are created in my image. You are important to me. He gave us these moments through his ministry that says, look, this is what it's going to be like. When I'm in charge, when I rule, when there is no more sin and death and sickness, this is what it would look like. And he lived this life so that he could empathize and sympathize with us. We have a God who, when we are tired and beat up and exhausted and feel like we can't fight anymore and this world is too broken and too hard, we have a God who can say, I get it. I know. I've been there. Life is hard. This world is broken. I understand that. I can comfort you in a new, different way because I understand you. He came so that he could die for us. Yes, you know, this week is Christmas, and we celebrate the birth of Christ, and that alone, God entering into humanity, that alone is cause for decorations and celebration. But think about it, without his death, if he doesn't go to the cross eventually, if God just enters into humanity, hangs out for a while, teaches, does some miracles, and then leaves, we're all still in a lot of trouble. There's still the issue of sin. There's still the issue of potential complete cutoff from God's presence. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve for rebelling against God. That's, that's the rules of the game that we're playing. If you sin... If you rebel against God in any way, that equals death. Jesus takes that on himself. Jesus goes to the cross in our place, on our behalf, and allows the wrath of God to be fully poured out on him so that you and I can have a new life. So that you and I can have a life not marked by the sin that we have done or the sin that has been done against us, but we can have a new life. We can have a new identity. We can be seen as new creations, children of God. Zechariah talks about a holy land. He says, sing and rejoice because this God is coming to dwell and live with you. And he is going to make it possible for all people to have a relationship with him. And then in verse 12 he says, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. A lot of times in the news, we throw around, they, they throw around the phrase holy land. This is actually the only time in the Bible that phrase is ever used. This is the only time they ever talk about the holy land. When he talks about Jerusalem and Zion, these things, we can see these things as prophecies about us. Here, God says, the land itself, Jerusalem is important to me. That place I set aside for my kids. God says, look, I set that apart for you. 
That's for you. That's your inheritance. It's important and special. It says he will again choose Jerusalem. God chooses Jerusalem by letting Jesus enter into this world, live a perfect life. And then it says in the Gospel of Luke that at one point in Jesus' ministry, he fixes his eyes on Jerusalem. Because it is Jesus' goal, it is Jesus' mission to get himself to Jerusalem, to allow himself to be betrayed, and arrested, and beaten, and executed for us. It's in Jerusalem that Christ shows he is king. It's at Jerusalem that God says, I choose Jerusalem. This is my important land, and it's important because I picked it for you, and it's important because I'm going to redeem you there. I'm going to make it possible for you to have a right relationship with me there. It's that place that Jesus shows he was the Christ that we were all waiting for. He is the Christ that we are all waiting for. So sing and rejoice because he is coming to live and dwell. Sing and rejoice because he is calling many people from all nations to himself. Those are reasons to sing and rejoice, right? But for some people, that, there is no singing and rejoicing. There are some people that this time of year is not a time to sing and rejoice. That verse 13 that Zechariah says, he says, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Be still, because God is about to do something unbelievable. He says, be silent, all flesh. Isn't that an interesting comparison, right? Verse 10, he says, sing and rejoice. Now he says, be silent. He's talking to two different groups here. Sing and rejoice, those of you who are children of God. Sing and rejoice, those of you who have something to sing and rejoice about. But here he says, be silent, all flesh. When we talk about flesh in the Bible, we talk about that's the, that's the sinful nature. That's the, the rebellion. By flesh, he means the sinful, the rebellious, those who want to argue about how good God should and shouldn't act, those who want to argue about whether or not there even is a God, those who want to rebel against God and say, no, I know better. I'm smarter. I can handle this on my own. He says, be silent, all flesh. That part those people, that part of you that wants to rebel, be silent. The elect, the family of God, the children of God, sing and rejoice. This is good news. But for those of you who don't have a relationship with God, there's not much to sing about. There's not a whole lot to rejoice about, and I don't want you to be that person this morning. I don't want you to not have something to sing and rejoice about. If you have not made a decision this morning about who Jesus is, because that's really what it comes down to, is Jesus who he said he is? Do you believe that? Do you believe he is who he said he is? He said he was God. He said he was the one who could take away the sins of the world. Right now in the news there's a lot of talk about is the God of the Muslims, the God of the Christians, and who is what? Jesus said, through me you get to the Father. Me alone. I am the only way. He made it very clear. Where do you stand in relation to Jesus? What do you believe about who he is? Because he, wasn't, he can't be just a good teacher. He can't be just a guy who did miracles. He can't just be a prophet because he said he was God. So who is he? That's the decision you have to make. 
And you don't have to do a fancy prayer. You don't have to do... This morning, if you have not made a decision, but you want to, if you want to have this relationship with God, if you want to have something this Christmas to sing and rejoice about, it's a matter of confessing to God. In yourself, you can do it in your head. You can do it silently right now and say, God, I know I am a sinner. I know that I rebel against you, and I don't want to. I don't want to be marked as a rebel. As a rebel. I want to be one of your children. I believe Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for my sins. And that's the only way I'm going to get to you. And it's in that decision that you find joy. It's in that decision that we have the ability to sing and rejoice. Israelites, sing and rejoice. Your Christ is at hand, is what Zechariah says. Christians, sing and rejoice, for he has come. We are in this part of history where we get to sing and rejoice knowing full well God keeps his promises. Knowing full well that Jesus entered into humanity. God entered into humanity. He has come once to save us, and he will come again. Zechariah says, sing. He says, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself. It's already started. He has already started getting up. He has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Matthew Henry says, that phrase says, it's like a man entering with resolution upon a business that he will go through with. He is focused and determined. He has one goal, to get up and do something impressive. He says, be silent, all flesh. Be in, you will be in awe. You will be dumbfounded when he comes. In today's culture, there's a lot of people who want to argue. And they want to challenge the Bible. And they want to challenge the Christians. And they want to make fun. And they can't believe that we would actually believe this book we can't believe that we actually think Noah's Ark actually held all those animals, and they want to start fights, and they yip, 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 yip. Zechariah says, one day, you're going, to be put to, you're going to be put to silence. You go ahead and talk all you want. They can make all the noise they want because Christ is coming. And when he comes, there will be awe. There will be dumbfoundedness. There will be silence. They will have nothing to argue about. They will have nothing to sing about. But on that day, Christians, we will sing and rejoice. I want to be found that morning singing, that day when he comes. I want to be found singing and rejoicing. Here's the deal, though. If you know me, I'm a terrible singer. So the more people I have around me singing, the less anyone's going to have to hear me. I want to be surrounded by all of you singing. When we sing on Sunday mornings, it's loud. And we can't really hear ourselves. And that's awesome, because some of us aren't great singers. The more people that will be there on that day singing and rejoicing, the louder and fuller our voices will be, and we won't be self-conscious about whether or not we can sing. We'll be focused, our eyes fixed on Christ. This week, we celebrate. We celebrate that Christ has come. God entered in. A baby cried in a manger and changed everything. We sing and rejoice that he was there. We sing and rejoice that he's coming again, that God is faithful. You know, I said when we started this series, we entered into this series on Advent, that this season helps us focus. It helps us to really remember and learn what it means to wait, what it means to anticipate something, what it means to long for Christ's return. 
And for these four weeks, it's easy to say, yeah, we're in Advent, we're waiting, we're, we're focused on that. But I also said that after these four weeks are up, we can't stop waiting. Right? We talked week one, we said, Christ says, stay awake. And I said, we don't get a nap. I know the holidays are exhausting, but we don't get to take a nap on this. We don't get to stop waiting. We don't get to stop anticipating. We don't get to stop being in Advent because we're in Advent until he comes. So as we celebrate Christmas this week, as we get together and we sing and we rejoice and we eat and we give gifts and we're with family and friends, let the fact that God did what he said he would do motivate you. Let these times, let these times, these decorations, these parties, these gatherings, let these be tangible reminders to you that Christ is coming back, that God is coming to dwell, to live, to be with us. Who needs to know that? Who do you know that needs to know that Christ is coming? How does the fact that Christ is coming back change the way that you work? How does it change the way that you're a friend, that you're a parent, that you're a sibling, that you're a spouse, that you're a student? How does it change the way you interact with this world? This week we celebrate and we rejoice because Christ has come and he's coming again. Let's pray.